On today's episode of Tap Calf Transmissions, we talk about New Jedi Order, Agent of Chaos 2, Jedi Eclipse. Next week, we're going to be talking about Star Wars games and doing a tier list for each of us on some of our favorite and least favorite games. So check that out if you want to get mad at our opinions. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tap Calf Transmissions. I am Corey. This is Justin. How are you doing, Justin? I am doing very, very well on this fine Thursday evening in the disgustingly hot part of Canada that I live in. Is it is it bad for you too, Corey? It's only 24 for me right now. What are Ooh, you... That's not too bad. What are you looking at? I, it's it's got to be in its 30s here. It's just very, very humid though. Like... I, it's also been like nonstop. Like if you're on stream, I'm gonna show. I, sh- I showed you this yesterday, but like, look at this. Yeah. Look at this farmer's tan I got. It's it's actually it's died disgusting. down since yesterday. He he sent me and Charlie a picture of pure farmer's tan. It was yeah. It's it's not great, and I'm at the point where like the heat is just exhausting. Like it's just every day, yeah. constant assault, uh, and I, I'm I'm getting kind of over it. I love summer, but I'm getting over it. It hasn't been higher than like 31 for us, and I don't think it's been 31 for very long. So we've been we've been having a pretty mild one so far. So I'm happy with that. I have air conditioning now, though, so I don't I don't care. When I lived in an you apartment know, it, without air, it, air conditioning, that was. It said it only got up to 25, 25 today. So maybe I'm overstating things, but I don't know. It's just been it's been an onslaught. But do you yeah. have AC? We've got a heat pump. Yeah, we do have a heat okay. pump. So it's been. It's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. The worst summer of my life. I do think your worst summers are worse than mine because the worst summer I ever had was was in Toronto and it was it was brutal. Yeah, like I living without air conditioning is is the worst. Like I, my last apartment building that I lived in, I bought an air conditioner that like a window unit, and mm-hmm. I didn't even have it like sticking all the way out the window because technically we weren't allowed to have it. Uh, but I guess they had someone that went outside and looked at all the windows to mark down who had an ac that wasn't uh that hadn't paid the the ac oh, yeah. fee cuz like it was 400 some odd dollars to use it for the season and cuz the idea is that yo you're covering the electricity for it but that only covers 4 months you can't use it for uh like past the start of september and you can't pay like per month even so you can't turn that 400 right. into 100 so I it sounds like yeah. I sounds pay, like the BBC coming for the television. Check your television uh, license. Like I, I pay for my own electricity now. There it was included, but I have never paid for a like a bigger house than my apartment was a hundred dollars mm-hmm. a month in electricity, mm-hmm. let alone a hundred dollars a month just for the AC. So their yeah, their no, whole thing insane. was absolute bullshit. I, I was very well, upset about it. The apartment that you were in was probably like the worst apartment of all time. To yeah. be fair, yeah, that the cockroaches place... need to be cool too. Like, yeah, it, but I mean that, and he he's not joking. Like he would send us pictures of like, look where I found the roaches today. Yeah. He's got like a, a killick swarm living in his fucking cereal box. The best part was when the kitchen wall exploded from a from a pipe leak that had probably been going on for years, and hearing the maintenance people like, laugh as they pulled out hundreds of cockroaches. It was, it was nasty, but anyways, yeah, that's, that's hilarious. That's so funny. We'll talk to the, we'll talk about that again uh, when we get to the Dark Knight trilogy. Today we are talking about New Jedi Order, Jedi Eclipse, Book Two. We covered Book One like it's got to be a month ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a bit of a delay. But there was Kenobi. There was uh, Brotherhood of the Sith. Uh, mm-hmm. There, there was so much stuff to talk about in the meantime. But right. 
Right now, is there any other Star Wars news we've got to talk about? You mean Shadows of the Sith? Or, and, yeah, Shadows of the Sith. And, and Brotherhood. Master, yeah, Brotherhood. Well, it's kind of funny because this is Shadows of the Sith, and then this one, or that one was Shadows of the Sith, and this is Jedi Eclipse. So there's lots wow. of things being e- eclipsed or shadows being cast. Yeah. Um, it could be a duology for all we know. It could be. Uh, except the fact that these are very, very different books. Straight up, which okay. one did you enjoy more? Shadows of the Sith or this one? Uh, this one, probably. Yeah, I think I'm there, too. This book had, like, there were aspects of this book which I thought were really phenomenal. Like, the in, like the introduction is great. And then I felt like this was the New Jedi Order book the most so far, where it's felt like it's been really brought down by, it, like, needing to have all the main characters involved yeah. and needing to have Han and Leia each doing their own thing. Did you kind of feel like that too? Yeah, like this book is definitely a lot of setup and not a... I guess it's got a little bit of payoff for like the Han and Droma subplots, but it it does feel like this this duology uh, was a bit weaker for having to do so much broad stuff. I think there were a few main plot points that were hit pretty well, even by all the subplots, because like a lot of Mm -hmm. it was coming down to uh, the faint attack between whether it's going to happen at Bothawi or Corellia and then ends up being on at Fondor and that kind of ties everything together but it yeah like there's there's less that happens to be paid off here than to be uh, yeah. paid off a bit later I just felt like the, the the more interesting stuff was like at the very beginning where we see kind of the the, the book starts off with Leia she's a part of this kind of um, refugee core within the New Republic, and they're on—is it Jindine? Is that the word world at the beginning? Um, uh, yes. Yeah. So they're on a world, and it's perspective of the Vong is attacking, and it's pretty terrifying because we're seeing like what the Vong, what it looks like to be in the front line of a Yuzhan Vong invasion, and I thought that was really great and uh, very brutal. Not like in a gory way, like there's no gore or anything, but it's they do a good job of capturing yeah. kind of how terrifying it would be. I thought that stuff was great, and that's kind of what I wanted more of this book to be a focus on, because there is kind of an undercurrent of dread. Yeah. It seems like between the last book, even, the Yuzhan Vong have made serious, serious inroads. Yeah, like Jindin is in the Galactic South. You have to yeah. bypass most of the Rim and go halfway yeah. to Bothawi before you get there. Right, exactly. So it's like the opposite of where they invaded. And, like, I thought that stuff was really great, and then I just, whenever it was, like, the Han stuff, I just... Didn't care. I I, I couldn't, yeah, I didn't care, and, which is unfortunate, because the lens of, like, actually following these refugees, which the Rin are, is actually a really interesting idea, but when you make it, oh, these are, of course, it's a galaxy of trillions upon trillions of people, and it's like Han is meeting everyone, and they're all coming together, it's just, like... It's it's just not interesting compared to, you know, it's the very different story they could be telling. Yeah, like, I think part of it is that uh, the Han and Droma looking for the other Rin storyline is the only thing that really makes this a duology, while mm-hmm. still being, like, the Han and Droma stuff specifically one of the possibly less interesting plots going on. Because you do mm-hmm. have two tracks you're following with the, uh, with the Rin alone, where there's the group they're trying to find, and then there's Han and Droma together, uh, and then refugees more broadly. You also have Leia's stuff, uh, but yeah. she kind of ties into the invasion a little bit more because she's going to 
uh, talk to the Hapens and enlist the mm-hmm. Hapens' health. So, like, yeah, like I, I think the the refugee through line is one of the more interesting parts of NJO as a whole. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of it that actually James Lucino goes farther with than uh, than what the other authors do, where like he really hits it with the not just the refugees but also the exploitation by uh, Salish Egg, which is mm-hmm. like an agricultural company that's taking that in the refugees, but it's a f- essentially turning them into. Uh, it's, it's basically Yuzhan Vong, and not only that, there's like even more levels of darkness to it, where like the people who are purporting to save this to you know help people get off are really just putting them in line of the Yuzhan Vong advance. Um, yeah, like which is why, which is how everyone kind of ends up at Fondor at the end. Yeah, um, and I I believe that's one way later on that they can kind of predict the Vong's movements is. Because one of the big kind of things in this in this uh, story is the fact that the Vong aren't operating on like a strictly strategic basis. A lot of what they're doing is motivated by causing fear, um, yeah. and that's kind of shown through kind of how the refugees are treated. Like the Vong will follow refugee uh, refugees across the galaxy simply to you know keep people in fear. Yeah, so I guess we should probably do a quick synopsis of what's going on. So uh, there are a few main plots there. On Leia's side, you start with her work in Selcor, which is the mm. Senate uh, Senate Select Committee for Refugees. Uh, so she's basically taken charge of the refugee movement, uh, trying to advocate for them in the Senate and trying to find worlds to uh, to be able to settle refugees on. A lot of planets are... Uh, not really able to take them or not willing to take them. Mm-hmm. And she goes from there into trying to convince the Hapens to join the fight and help the New Republic. Uh, they've got the Imperials on board from her prior work, uh, but still waiting on the Hapens. Uh, this next plot line, or the I guess the broader plot line within the New Republic and some of the other character stories that we see is trying to figure out exactly where the Vong are going to strike first or strike mm-hmm. next. Cause mm-hmm. from Jin Dean, which they take at the start of the book, they can either go to Bothui or which is farther out in the outer rim, or they could go to Corellia, which is seen as like the entry point to the core. And so the mm-hmm. New Republic is trying to figure out do we send our ships to Corellia or do we send them to Bothui? And they end up planning to uh defend Bothui so they can lure the Vong into attacking Corellia where they want to use Centerpoint Station to blow everyone up. Uh, but it turns out yeah. the Vong want to attack Fondor instead. We also that was have, one part that I enjoyed. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, the last one is just the... We got a lot about the uh, the alliance between the Huts and the Yuzon Vong. Not alliance, but uh, the Huts are willing to work with the Vong and uh, the give them the some huts territory. are acting very hut like, yeah. to be honest. They want to take uh, like, the information the Vong is giving them and give it to Nurbuk. Yeah. 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 I, I actually really enjoyed the kind of figuring out how to put your fleets every, like, like which corridor into the core you want to protect. Yeah. Because, like, this is a major kind of stepping point in the war. And, like, you can run the risk of making the universe seem too small, but they kind of justify why they need to make these decisions. Because it's like, this is just one avenue of attack. You've also got to protect Bill Bringy, which is kind of the other way into the core or towards Coruscant. you got to protect, you know, Coruscant itself in that avenue. So that was interesting. And I liked, probably my favorite part of the book is 
the kind of new the secret New Republic like intelligence security council knows that they want to employ Centerpoint Station, but ultimately they've got to go through like the political structure. And it's kind of funny they kind of trick the council and they use like um like Bothan like like kind of how everyone feels about Bothwe versus Corellia to basically make the politicians do what they want. Um where their goal is to move the fleet towards uh, Bothwe and leave Corellia undefended. So <laughs> they make certain politicians act like they really want to protect Corellia. So the other politicians are like, no, we gotta, you know, we gotta protect the Bothans. So they kind of play right into their hand in a way. Yeah, and ultimately what they're doing there sets the stage for a lot of the divisions that are going to be happening mm-hmm. within, or exemplifies at least, a lot of the divisions that are going to exist between the New Republic members and make their jobs a lot harder. Like, Bothawi and Corellia, ironically, do end up in the same alliance later on to, mm-hmm. uh, to fuck over Coruscant, but... Yeah. All the playing the ends against the middle there is part of what leads to the Hapen fleet blowing up at Fondor as well, because none of the people are properly coordinating. They're all just trying to take advantage of each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one of the things that I do really like about this book is, uh, while we get a lot of battles or a couple battles, we almost never really focus on the battle itself. There's plenty of other books in the NJO that are like, really good battle scenes but here the battles are almost peripheral to uh how they're handling the refugees or uh because like with han's stuff he is uh he's collecting the refugees during the battle at fondor so we don't really get much of the larger battle we just get what han is doing during it and even at jindine we're getting a few details about the battle but it's mostly just the rin and then Worth Skidder standing in line hoping to get on a transport out. So it's creating a lot of sense of urgency and kind of showing mm-hmm. the stakes of the battles a lot more than mm-hmm. the battles themselves. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really well done. Yeah, and then of course the book ends with the the big philosophical question. It's kind of another uh, fight for Jason and Anakin to have where kind of as you as you alluded to, the, the big final confrontation is at Fondor uh, where the Vong have tricked the New Republic, and ultimately the, the, these very important shipyards are not as protected as they should be. Um, however, Corellia, the Corellian system, has been readying Centerpoint Station, which we talked about um, probably, probably if, uh, nearly half a year by now, or at least a few months ago, in the Corellian trilogy. It's this massive super weapon which can shoot these big, I think they call it like gravitonic beams or something across the galaxy and do yeah. a bunch of other things. And the big kind of conversation is how do we use center point station? Because it can be used in this offensive style or it can simply be used as a big, really big interdictor. Yeah. So to trap the Yuzhan Vong in the system so the, the New Republic can come in and jump on them. They call this kind of treating it like a shield to protect the Corellian system, which I don't know. I don't think that makes much sense because if there's no fleet there, Corellia is going to get fucked, but whatever. Um, or using it as a sword. And at the end, Anakin has just sort of reactivated Centerpoint Station. It's been kind of imprinted to him from the Corellian trilogy. And he's got a chance to take the shot at the Yuzhan Vong fleet, which he can feel through the Force. Ultimately, he doesn't take the shot, mostly because of Jason's uh, encouragement. And it ends up that Thrakensel Solo, who we also met during that trilogy, does. 
And as you alluded to, he destroys not only a big portion of the, the Yuzhan Vong fleet, but an even bigger portion of the Hapen fleet, which my uh, my phone will always autocorrect to Japan. Yeah. But, the uh, the, the, the big... poor Japanese fleet was ruined at <laughs> yeah. Fondor. Yeah, it, it, so it destroys an even larger portion of the big Hapen fleet, which has just sort of been convinced to join the war. So, Yeah, and the, the Hapens voted to get involved. It was like 31 to 30, which... I think that's the kind of vote you need a clear majority on normally. They might want to revisit their constitutional setup for that. Uh, but yeah, like Isolder is all raring to go. He just wants to find a fight, and then they all mm-hmm. get blown up. Because uh, uh, Centerpoint can only, like, only Anakin can set it back up, but apparently Thraken can fire it as well. So I think Anakin's yeah. moral dilemma of, like, okay, I'll get it set up, and then I'll see how they want to use it later. Like, congrats on making the decision not to fire it at a point when literally anyone else could as well. Yeah, so. I and I, I don't know. This is where I really start to disagree with um, with Jason. Um, I, got, I think Anakin's... Like, I think Anakin's kind of... Um, I, I guess it's an allegory or, or um, a, whatever. His comparison of this is like if someone in an alleyway is pointing a blaster at your friend, what do you do? And he chooses not to kind of respond with his lightsaber, his you know metaphorical lightsaber at center point station, and um, and yeah, I just I just don't know if I agree with that, especially especially where he probably could have you know, he, like he probably wouldn't have killed the Hapens. Now you're taking a lot of lives, but you're doing it to save pretty much an entire star yeah. system. So I I agree with Jason up until it's already turned on and ready to fire, at which point. Mm-hmm. Just if Anakin knows he can take the fucking shot, just take the fucking shot, then trash the place. Because if it's on and Thraken can fire it anyway, you've just wasted everybody's time and you've set up the exact situation that's going to be a problem for you later. Like, Mm -hmm. I I agree with the argument that Jason and uh, Luke kind of agreed with that or were kind of making at the start where it's just don't don't go there. (laughs) Don't touch it. Let's not set that problem up. But once you're there, once you've got it set up, this is the one time you know it's going to be used for something that is uh, a, a positive. Like, you know you can take out that Vong fleet, but mm-hmm. after that, you, you've you just turned it on for no goddamn reason. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I, gu- I guess you could make the argument that, like, like, even... I think even in a vacuum, like... Jason is just so totally against it because he just, you know, he just doesn't think that the Jedi should ever be yeah. doing anything but kind of deflecting blaster bolts. Um, yeah. And Anakin is younger. He's more impressionable. I, I think Anakin in a vacuum would would have chosen to fire 10 times out of 10, but he kind of capitulates to, to Jason ultimately. Yeah, like Jason isn't just thinking about, oh, center point being active could be a huge problem for generations to come. Uh, he's thinking... Oh, this is bad for us to do anything at all. Yeah. But. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and that's the whole kind of ethical dilemma the Jedi are facing. Like, it's it's this is just one sort of micro version of that where some of them, like Luke, want to just respond where they are, which I, I don't know. Like, I I don't know if that makes any more sense, really. Like in this case, you know, if the Jedi were there, like like. If if Jason was there, he would have fought. 
like if he were in an X-wing or yeah. if he were on the surface of Fondor and the Vong were were invading for some reason, like he would have fought. I, I think it's pretty clear. Um, so for me, like when you have a tool to not defend people, like where the Vong are actively invading a system, I think it's kind of an artificial distinction. Per personally, I think that's kind of what Anakin's maybe getting at as well. Yeah. Like Anakin. Uh, uh... I don't want to do like a, oh, both sides of any issue are wrong. You need mm -hmm. to find somewhere in the middle. But like Anakin and Jason are clearly set up to be kind of going too far in their own yep. positions. Mm -hmm. uh, where like, yeah, Jason never wants to see anyone fight anything. Jason thinks the Jedi should just be monks off for their own intellectual pursuits. Mm -hmm. uh, and even Luke goes too far in that direction. Whereas Anakin does think the Jedi ought to be these like warriors determining who does everything for everyone it's kind of the same thing we were talking about with uh the scene earlier on i don't was that in vector prime or was that in dark tide where him and mara are on dantooine and oh, yeah, mara uses like the worst example ever for why yeah, anakin should yeah, just tell everyone what yeah. to do with the volcano or whatever yeah that was yeah that was one of the later ones like anakin is definitely more correct than both jason and kip durin who, mm -hmm. like, Kip very much just wants to tell everyone what to do and mm -hmm. go around killing and arresting whoever's convenient for him. Like, not answerable to any other kind of power in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of the bigger problem, that they're left to their own devices and they get, decide, get to decide that they're the philosopher kings that mm -hmm. determine what's good for everyone else. Because they get to access superpowers, which, uh, not good. but Yeah, not great. There'd be a fun version of the boys in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, like, Kip's Homelander. <laughs> yeah. Kip's Homelander. I, I, yeah, I, I, I can't I don't really want to make the rest of the comparisons. but Is Anakin Starlight then? That's what I was going to say, but I was like, is Luke Starlight? I, I don't <laughs> know. I think Anakin is Huey, maybe. Mm, no, Anakin's useful. Yeah, but, yeah, okay, well... Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess Kip has to be Butcher. Yeah, Kip's got to be Butcher, and is Jaina Huey? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Jaina's more. Jaina's way more useful than most people, like including ninety-five-nine percent of the Jedi, but just all the time she spends with Kip. Okay, I want to talk about something slightly different. Um, so there's a unsurprisingly a Star Wars EU subreddit and. Also, probably unsurprisingly, it can get a little cringy sometimes, especially towards like the 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 blatant sequel hate or whatever else. And um, it, it, it's it's good frequently though as well. But there was a a post today that it just reminded me of how many people like like Star Wars Legends but don't actually read it. Um, yeah. And this is the this is the story. This is the the the, the post I saw today. Um, the idea was, what if Legends characters met their canon counterparts? So, basically, what if canon Luke met Legends Luke? How would each character react? And the number one and most repeated one was, EU Han would do unspeakable things to canon Han. Someone said, like what? Like violence. Uh, and then someone said, EU Han was a family man that was actually there for Leia and his kids, having grown as a character instead of going back to his old ways and like <laughs> did you never read any fucking legends? I, I was like what the fuck are you talking about 
th- this is like not the only time he does this. He's done this in multiple storylines. Yeah. Like, like Han literally. There's like three different times where he just fucks off because he can't. He handle wants the- to disown Jason in the Corellian trilogy because he's slightly overweight. Yeah, like, uh, like you haven't read the books. Like, if that's genuinely what you think, you haven't read the books in the past decade, or you you're, you have got very selective memory. I was trying to think of other storylines, but there's so many where they just, they all kind of just flow together. Because, like, there are a bunch where Han just, he literally finds excuses to just leave. Uh, Is the Black Fleet Crisis one? No, I don't think he wants to leave on that. But that's when Leia's, like, locking herself in her room as well. Like, that's Leia doing it. Yeah. And he gets kind of co-opted back into the fleet. But yeah, I was just like, I was just shocked that so like that was that was literally the number one upvoted post. And I said, I responded by saying, EU Han abandoned Leia every chance he got, LOL. And I got negative six votes. So like, I I don't know. (laughs) I think uh, Leia almost dies in this one. By Dark Nest and by like Millennium Falcon, then they they're they're better. Yes. Yeah. He definitely settles. He for the the like legacy and fate of the Jedi stuff. He definitely kind of settles in a bit more from what I remember. But yeah, yeah. So what we're saying is that Chewbacca was a bad influence. It was yeah, it was yeah. all Chewie's fault, really. Yeah. Basically, don't don't die, loser. I mean, did, did they comment on uh, Legends versus Canon Chewie there? Like, is it just living no, canon I didn't, Chewie I didn't see that one there. Legends Chewie's? I, I admittedly didn't see that one there. Yeah. But, Neither of them yeah. is a good parent in either continuity, is basically what it comes down to. No. No, exactly. Like, Han and Leia separating in new canon is probably healthier than any part of their relationship in Legends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, like, I, I still don't get the... That's, that's the one complaint I don't like about the new canon characters, like the fact that, you know, things get tough and they don't behave perfectly. Like, yeah, Han, Han and Leia broke up when their kid essentially died. Like, he, he yeah. didn't die, but he, he pretty much died. Like, do you know how common it is for From people to break up in the real world if, if your kid dies? Yeah. Like... I just I like I just can't anymore. Like I I just can't with these people. <laughs> and these are my people too. Like I like these people. <laughs> I like Star Wars Legends. I I don't want to be be ripping on the people that like it, but like fuck. Which uh what did what did Han do when the kids were abducted by uh Was it Hethrier? Yeah. I think it was Hethrier that time. Because I forget what Han was doing in that book. Um, I don't really remember, to be honest. All the <laughs> all the mediocre books of that era kind of like blur together for me. Yeah, it's like Crystal Star and basically the everything between like Dark Empire and the Corellian trilogy. Other than no, not other than the Black Fleet Crisis, because that's later. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. So all those books kind of turn into one for me. So I can't remember if Han would have been on Crusade Station with Luke, or if he was off. Yeah, doing no, he was. Else. He was. He was. Is that the same thing? You remember he's like? Isn't that one where he's like kind of 
a little bit broken up from from Leia, where he's like acting kind of weird. Garcia Station. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it happens a lot. Yeah. You well someday we'll get to Millennium Falcon and everything will be happy for them other than their their two dead kids and having to take care of their granddaughter. I mean, I, they enjoy their time with their granddaughter as well. That's like yeah. one of my things that I remember from Fate of the Jedi is just they're all just sitting around all the time going to the zoo or watching the news. Whatever. Yeah, like it, it's also a really common thing where uh, bad parents can still turn into good grandparents because usually there's less responsibility there and they just get to do the fun stuff. But I guess with Alana, they took full custody pretty much. Yeah, my, my my grandparents had license plate that said, "If I knew being a grandmother was so much fun, I wouldn't would have done that first. Yeah, uh, but we are starting to kind of get into uh, the next few books are going to be very Anakin heavy until he mm-hmm. dies in like three books. Yeah, uh, so I can't believe we're that we're getting that close. They do have a bit of a repro- rapprochement between Anakin and Jason because mm-hmm. even in this, like they're not arguing as much as they were in vector prime where they were like really at each other's throats whereas now they're still disagreeing and they still get kind of heated but like anakin still ends up looking to jason for advice and they're not like threatening Mm -hmm. to kill each other as immediately which is it's nice yeah um it's it's I, i i still don't really know how i feel about anakin as a character like was it a mistake to kill him off this early on, as we're getting to in a few books, or was it kind of necessary to take the kind of dra- drama to the next level? Yeah, I I think you were getting to the point where like someone important had to die in and around star by star. Like, mm-hmm. I I don't know if I th- I think the right move really was to kill Anakin instead of Jason, because mm-hmm. like Anakin was getting too close to being. Uh, super perfect Jedi for the future. Yeah. Where, and I, I think part of that was because that's what he was being set up intentionally to be until they ended up having to switch later in the game who was going to die. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how interesting Anakin stories would have been after that. Like, Plus you lose the twin dynamic. Yeah. If, like, you, if you still want to kill one of the solo kids anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there was any world in which they they should have killed Jaina. I think Jaina's the right choice to definitely keep alive. Mm-hmm. But like, I think Jason has enough interesting, unresolved elements of his what is the role of the Jedi, what is my role as a Jedi, and like all of his philosophical stuff that is like still worth exploring, whereas Anakin is a lot more straightforward in how he's handled. Mm-hmm. Like he he's He's too boring of a character. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And honestly, that that is just part like it's part of the fa- just the fact that he saw a lot less action than the other kids. Like, yeah. like especially in the novels, um, like the main novels. Obviously, he got his own young reader series, but I mean, we get Jason and Jaina from the Thrawn trilogy, and then they're you know, yeah, Anakin sometimes around, but even in like the Jedi Academy trilogy, he's kind of just like like just a young even younger kid so the focus is always kind of on the older ones yeah. so you're right he does end up being besides for the Corellian trilogy he does end up being um the least the less interesting one the anakin kill off anakin plan was actually something that 
Tim Zahn slid into the NJO author's notes that none of them really caught on to. Mm-hmm. Finally get rid of that one character he didn't make. Couldn't ignore. Yeah. But yeah, I, he's I, been, I, he was writing under pseudonyms and he's just like every every time uh, a non uh, like a non Zahn character died, it was just Timothy Zahn under some pseudonym. Christy Golding? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> For some reason, Callista came back and was beaten over the head with a chair. So I think there's one other character who you could kill off in that spot that they never would have killed off, but could have really set up for the future of interesting plots for all the solo kids and going forward. Now, never going to happen, but what if Luke dies in Star by Star instead of Anakin? Uh, that's an interesting... That I was actually going to bring that up too. There's actually a point in, I think, Fate of the Jedi where they do a Luke fake-out death for like an entire three chapters where I think Jaina thinks she shoots him down or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's... I guess it's probably Legacy of the Force. Yeah, I was thinking that. Like, could they have the balls to kill off Luke? And if if they were going to, I do feel like New Jedi Order might have been the prime point just yeah. because like this story showed that Luke, like, for one, Luke is not very present in this story, and I don't think the story is any worse for it. Yeah, like, I, I don't see them ever doing that in these books. Like, they never would have been allowed to kill Luke, Han, and Leia. Like, George would have vetoed that immediately. But I think that killing Luke makes the most sense here. Yeah, and... Part of the problem is I don't find Luke to be as interesting as some of the other characters until like the the only real story for me where I'm like, okay, I'm really, really happy Luke is in this in this time period is I guess some of the later stuff in the NJO. And then I really like when he and Ben have their journeys in Fate of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, But other than that, yeah, I feel like and it would have been shocking because, you know, he's the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy and that really would have driven home the, oh shit, nobody's safe. Yeah. If, if they're going to kill Luke, like, but he, he's like the most, Luke Skywalker is literally one of the most famous characters in fiction. Yeah. So. Luke just ends up in such a position where whenever he takes a position on something, it almost always has to be the right one. Whereas if he's dead, then that sets up Stories for Ben. I don't think Mara ends up dying later on. Uh, I think that the uh, that has a really clear plot line for Anakin, where he's not just Golden Boy who's eventually going to take over for Luke. He has to find what his role is in the Order. You have what is what happens with Kip's faction now that Luke isn't there to kind of glue everyone together through like mm-hmm. grudging respect, because mm-hmm. like Kip and Corin without Luke there, we're never going to get along for the first few books of this. And he was starting to pull them back into the fold. So like what happens there? If that glue is gone, do they gonna, Mm -hmm. do they go off and make their own Jedi schism or do they work it out? That could have been interesting. Yeah. Split, split the Jedi up and then deal with it later. Like split the Jedi up. They work together during the war in their own way, obviously. And then maybe that's kind of, you know the one of the next kind of conflicts afterwards yeah but i guess we're kind of getting uh super far away from jedi eclipse here 
Yeah, I mean, look at my notes here. This, uh, obviously, there were lots of uh, kind of little references to this book. There were, were there any particularly fun references that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, like it was it was fun having the the characters from Corellian trilogy back with the mm-hmm. uh, governor general being, or the governor general and Ibrahim being. Yep. Yeah, I was really happy there. to see Ibrahim again. He was yeah. one of my favorites, um, and he was also what I remembered. He was also one of the ones who didn't want uh, who didn't want Jason or Anakin to fire. So I was like, yeah. okay, if, Ibra- if Ibrahim says it, maybe he's right. <laughs> yeah. We also got uh, bollocks. Like, probably Bollocks coming back, who doesn't think he's Bollocks, leading the droid revolution on Salashag. Mm-hmm. Because I guess we kind of slept on that as well, uh, mm-hmm. where Han frees these that droids. That was the worst part of the book, in my opinion. So unnecessary. Well, if someone else had done literally anything with it, it wouldn't have been unnecessary. And this is still mm-hmm. a part, a point in the NJO, where something could have been done with it. Because mm-hmm. we were talking about that in Vector Prime, and I think there's a little bit of it in Dark Tide. But, like, Vector Prime starts off with a droid sacrifice on Asarian and Ramamul, or Ramamul yep. specifically. And, like, we have a lot in uh, in the books about, like, oh, 3PO having his identity crisis. So mm-hmm. we're only, what, four, five, maybe six books in here? Uh, I think five. Because I think yeah. it's only one standalone, the two duologies. For some reason, I always think there's a book between Dark Tide and Agents of Chaos. I, I, I should clarify. I li- I actually think the idea of, okay, they're clearing out all of their droids not to hire people, but because they want to capitulate to the Yuzhan Vong when they come and have this big sacrifice ready. I think that's an interesting idea. What I don't like is the Han Solo-style adventure yeah. part where he's literally breaking into the facility. They're doing the Indiana Jones river rafting complete with waterfall sequence. Yeah. And everything else. Um, that, that is part of the weakness like. of, of the book. Where it, it is pretty short. And then he... Yeah, it's super short. Lucino, who always does these kind of references, is trying to put in not just references to the original source material uh, like Bollocks, but trying to almost recreate those stories in the subplots, which mm-hmm. uh, which can feel a little bit rushed uh, and a little bit forced, which like I, I didn't hate it, but it was definitely... Yeah, I wouldn't I, say I wouldn't say I hated it either. It just it kind of kept the book. It, it kept the book. It definitely kept the book a little down where it could have been could have been better. Um, uh, there there were some obviously. I mean, this was a James Lucino book, so there were some pretty deep cuts here. Um, we get a couple of references to the Star Wars audiobook or the sorry the Star Wars radio drama. Uh, when talking, there's one section where Leia is uh, trying to find a planet for these refugees and. There's kind of some allusions to how she helped uh, she helped the planned out in the past from an Imperial and how she was paid back. And it turns out there's actually some allusion to how the Rebels got the Death Star plans. And that kind of ties into that. Um, and we... I'm trying to think what else there were. There were some good ones in there. Um, what was the one that I was thinking? Of? Oh yeah, we get we saw Bombassa again. Yeah, uh, who we saw most recently in the Thrawn duology. He's like that gangster, um, kind of in the Cathal sector. So, yeah. I, I was really happy to see him. Did you realize he'd been canonized in Solo? The movie? yeah, he was in he was on Corellia, wasn't he? Or was yeah, in the yeah? I think he's on like I, I I didn't realize, but from what I briefly read, I think he's on like the Imperial recruitment place in Corellia. But that was. Kind of blew yeah. my mind. 
I do think it's kind of weird uh, how Bombasa is like so high up in the hut hierarchy. We're like, mm. yeah, they've got their galactic businesses going on, but yeah, it seemed almost really like Kreb was. Him. Yeah, because he was in the meeting with like Borga and Gardula and stuff, wasn't he? So yeah, but in like in in the duology, isn't he kind of he's kind of his more like an independent guy, isn't he? He seems to be. That's a bit... what we're supposed to think. Yeah, but yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, I, I one problem I had with this book too is I, I felt like there were maybe too many. It's for me, it's kind of hard to keep track of all the Yuzhan Vong just because their names are such nonsense. Um, I was starting to get that a little bit in this book, where like I, I can remember, you know, Nomenor and obviously like like the the really high ranking ones, but every book introduced like introduces two Yuzhan Vong like commanders you just know they're gonna die so they all kind of just blur together for me especially that was a bit of a problem when combined with like all the huts where it's just slug slug names over and over again I don't know I didn't really find that like we do get Chine Cal added as uh, a one-off character but he's also isolated from the other yeah he's uh, on that ship yeah the other uh, Yuzhan Vong enough so like other than that we only really had Nominor Mm-hmm. Uh, Malik Carr, who's been brought up a fair amount, and then mm-hmm. Nash Choka and Savong Law, mm-hmm. where I almost found like there was a bit too much top heaviness and like only relying on important Vong people, where it felt like it was a group of like five buddies just invading the galaxy together. So, yeah, and Savong Law only appears on Hologram, right? Yeah, or, he uh, hasn't really made Villa. it into the galaxy yet. Yeah. It was I one thing that was kind of weird is I think Nomenor is still my favorite. Um kind of weird how they talk about him collaborating with the Praetoriate Vong. Yeah. Almost like the Praetoriate Vong were like there's the idea that they're sort of separate and kind of clearing the way for the proper invasion, but in this it almost talks about how they're like it almost makes them out to be I like a rogue element almost. Yeah. Like the way Vector Prime was set up, it was almost like it was kind of done so that if the book didn't do super well, they could just stop. Yeah. Uh, and the way it ended up playing out in the story, it just they they had to kind of separate them a bit more as they went on. Like they, the farther you get into the series, the more the Praetorate Vong just get kind of shit on and talked about like they were a separate mm-hmm. sect that stepped out of bounds rather than the uh, the sacrificial vanguard of Vong forces. Yeah. So, which I guess, um, I, I guess you can kind of rationalize that by they were traveling independently in hyperspace for so yeah. long, or in I think they call it dark space or whatever that maybe they just were incommunicado for a while, but still a bit. There are there's definitely a few times in the New Jedi Order where books kind of had to just deal with the fact that Vector Prime is a little bit different. Yeah. I think it probably would have been better and no one really would have cared if they just said, oh, yeah, that first wave, we got our beachhead mm. and then we stopped and they died. Good for them. Yeah. They were sacrificed. They died with glory in battle. But instead, it's... Yeah. No, they're fucking moral. <laughs> That's the weird part. Like, it doesn't feel like they need to do that. Like, yeah. it doesn't feel... It honestly just feels like the the Praetorian Vong encountered a more determined force than they were expecting because the kind of the heroes were there. Um, so yeah, I don't really need them to be kind of, you know, uh, I guess part of the fact is too, there would be a certain amount of shame 
within the Yuzhan Vong just being a part of a failed military expedition. So maybe it's just maybe it's just that. Like if they're okay gonna... enough with people like dying well, but yeah, but maybe we're like the Praetorian Vong failed so yeah. poorly. Like although I guess they did take down Cern Padal and a Star Destroyer and stuff. They so, killed yeah, Chewbacca. Know. No one else has killed Chewbacca before. That's they true. don't know that, but like there there's an element of it that works with some of the political maneuvering where it's like oh we want to make Nominor look as shitty as possible mm-hmm. but it feels like that's almost secondary to the idea that no they really believe the Praetor at Vong are just shit no matter how long the war goes on because mm-hmm. if it was done as like an initial response to oh how could they lose to such a soft galaxy of gross beings how did you fail on this and there mm-hmm. are elements of that where it does exist but like Until even as they point. get into the war they're just like no you're all you're all trash yeah and, and i said that until this book because one of the interesting things is with center point station fires and it eviscerates the the vong fleet but even more uh is even more brutal towards the uh the hapen fleet and the vong are like have we just like usually it's been the the new republic like unable to deal with the psychology of the vong and in this case, um, they're the Vong are like, did we, did we, do we totally misunderstand these people? Did they do that on purpose? Did they just savage half of their forces to, to defend, like to, to take us out? And they're kind of unable to rationalize it. And nope, I, I we think, just missed. Sorry, guys. Well, yeah, that could have been an interesting plot line where, like, the most where the people like, um, like Thraken end up being effective in some way. And then, but obviously, if it's a Star Wars book with, you know, good morality, you got to kind of explore why in the end it doesn't work. But I guess we get a bit of something like that in with the Lusankia in when uh, Wedge is kind of bombing the shit out of, out of his own positions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more of the uh, mind games going on with the uh edge of victory duology yeah where they have like all the fake weapons wedge does a bunch of creative fake out tactics mm-hmm. uh because there's like the 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 fake super laser they sort of shoot coruscant with there's yeah. the uh bombarding his own positions but yeah here it's just that they fucked up that badly yeah it's just funny to watch them like oh shit like these guys they they literally like call them savages, um, and it's it's interesting. Like yeah, we, we yeah we we didn't we didn't understand what the limits of their actions were, <laughs> and neither it's did they. Of, yeah, it's kind of a we never stop thinking of ways to hurt them, and neither do they. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, one thing that I want to talk about is the 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 Rin are obviously like very clearly meant to be be tie-ins or meant to be kind of allegorical representations of like Romani people yeah. where especially like how we see them stereotypically uh what did you what did you think of that cuz i that's like i'm trying to think of the best way to word this um it's definitely like a group of people that especially it feels like when that book was coming out it would have like when I was a kid, you know, people would openly be racist yeah. towards groups like that. And still today, like, like you can get away saying a lot more 
you know, and I was kind of glad that that book addressed that in its own way, but how, I, I don't know. It was just, it was an interesting kind of more, it was in a way a very, very blunt take on something. Like it's yeah. very, very obvious what the comparison's meant to be. You read one chapter of it and it's clear, but it's also a bit more kind of, of a commentary than we usually get, I think. Yeah. So it's like, like, yeah. There's a lot of the issues like that, both on uh, on the refugees, the Rin specifically, and a, a bunch of other like political dimensions in this book that James Lucino mm-hmm. was a lot more forward on than mm-hmm. uh, any other books in the or any of the other authors in the NJO, I think, uh, and a lot of a lot of other authors more generally in Star Wars, mm-hmm. especially for like this period of Legends. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm I'm kind of curious to it wasn't something that i paid as much attention to between the different like i wasn't thinking of the different authors and how they approached it in my last read through of Mm -hmm. njo so that's something i want to see how much that continues after this uh because i know there's another book that is very focused on the refugees on duro and whether it takes any of that on as bluntly or uses any of the characters the same way because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that one ends up being a lot more. I forget which book it is, but it it's where they're the whole solo family is finally back together on Duro, and they end up having to shave their heads. Uh, oh yeah, and then there's a fight scene that I'm pretty sure was like in the maybe the reader's guide where there's a picture there's... of bald Jason fighting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, like it seems like James Lucino was a lot more forward with the. Uh, with the commentary on that. And mm-hmm. I, I don't love having the whole species as stand-in for specific ethnic groups situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's something that a lot of science fiction is kind of, and fiction more generally has started moving away from for pretty good mm-hmm. reasons. But I think ultimately it was attempted to be used for a, for a good purpose here. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It's blunt, but it's like... Yeah at least saying something because like p- part of the problem is with with star wars books is like the the morality or the message can sometimes be a little basic where it's like don't kill people yeah don't maybe don't be angry <laughs> don't kill people unless it's fun racism it's not great <laughs> <laughs> and in this it's like it's a little bit more than that where like people think that we're like People people think we're we're shitty because they're like people people just put us in this box. It's kind of and then you actually you see how people treat the Rin and then you see what the Rin are actually like and it's yeah, especially at the end where they're where they're in the Fondor space station. That was interesting. Yeah, and even when they're on Ruin where uh like I think Dromo all of the agricultural workers were like working in manure. And mm-hmm. then people were still saying like, oh, get away from the Rin. We can't have them working here because they're dirty. It's like, mm-hmm. we're all literally working in shit right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No. Anything else you want to say about the book? Want to talk about overall thoughts or anything? Impressions? Level of enjoyment? And then maybe go to some questions? Or is uh, there any other discussion topics you want to cover? Yeah, I think uh, I think we can go to our ratings now. Uh, Checking my notes, I think we covered everything I wanted. Yeah, I think we hit 
all of my like it, it's definitely a book that uh has less focus than a lot of other books just because there's so much it has to set up for but i think what oh. it does cover it covers pretty decently one thing I, ha I wanted to note is we get some good hut action we do have that one hut just like destroying a bunch of yuzhan vong warriors which is cool yeah but i was i was also left thinking on some level of all the species in the galaxy i bet you the vong kind of like the huts um obviously they they don't like now and they don't like how they've savaged their home world uh or sorry they they don't like the narshada because it's complete city it's covered by a city it's a moon covered by a city and now is an industrial shithole but um uh, I, I, they must like the fact that they've got people carrying them around, right? Like, that's like that's that's organic technology. They got slaves carrying them around everywhere. But usually they're like hover cars carrying them around. Like maybe they're okay with mm. the, uh, with with if they had just a litter. But yeah. even then, they're like it's all made out of metal. I, I was feeling like the huts are one of the species that the Vong would hate the most. Like maybe the Yun Harla people would be okay mm. with them, but they're pretty much all political maneuvering. Never want to fight anyone. Yeah, if true. they do fight, they get like their lackeys to do it for them, and just the the absolute disgust that the Vong were looking at <laughs> now Hutta with. Yeah, and yeah, they... I do like how one of the ways they try to uh, like get on the get the Hut's favors through like bioengineered food. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah, it it was uh, when they were talking about Narshadan. It's like or Nalhada, like oh, this used to be this used to be fucking jungles, and look how great we made it. Mm -hmm. The the Vaughn like, would have yeah, loved the like, jungles. Like this, this this is shit. Yeah. Well, the, and we, yeah, because they basically are using a bunch of their other, a bunch of the other hot planets at this point as um, as ship building worlds or biot yeah. worlds. So yeah, like, like that's how that's how like shitty the huts are like they're giving up their own worlds freely uh you know for the vong to to use a ship wombs or whatever yeah. else um instead of coordinating with the new republic and fighting back yeah like it's not like now is nice natural dagobah swamp it's more like shit sewer industrial swamp so it's it's not yeah in nova scotia there's a place called the sydney tarpons and that's exactly what I imagine. I imagine uh, Nell Huddle like that, just on a wide scale. That's where they're going to do the live action filming for it? <laughs> yeah. On Star Wars episode, uh, we'd be on like 55 or something. <laughs> you think it'll take that long to get to Nell Huddle in live action? Oh, I, I thought you meant when they're recreating this book. Oh, no. Um, I thought there was a chance we'd see Nell Huddle in the Book of Boba Fett. Um, but we gotta get, you're right, we gotta get there eventually, right? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's no the way. Clone Wars. Yeah. There's no way. No, yeah, we definitely will. We see it in the Clone Wars, and it was, um, it was pretty much the same, from what I remember. Maybe yeah. a little less, no, it's still pretty industrialized, um, but yeah. Yeah, like, we've even, we did set it up, we didn't go there in Boba Fett, but we did get mm -hmm. the setup of, like, oh yeah, we're fucking off back to Tatooine, or back to, uh, Hut's face because Tatooine kind of sucks now. So yeah, and that's why I thought we'd see we might see it. Like yeah. I thought we'd get more, and I think we still possibly could. Um, like I Book think that was probably. Well, yeah, and I, I do think that was why the huts were introduced. Um, 
because like the huts are still a threat at the end yeah. of season one like they've only really the book of boba fett only kind of deals with a pretty small threat which i kind of like um yeah yeah but at least we got to see osis mm-hmm. was that a thing we talked about uh, we did yeah we okay. co- i think we actually covered it the the episode beforehand okay. one thing that dave filoni i think it was dave filoni or maybe john favreau stated or it might have even been the author was that osis actually came from the book of boba fett script not from the book okay yeah so it was actually the the show which made that uh distinction and i'm kind of wondering i, I kind of want to go back now and listen to the uh listen to the um what's it called the descriptive audio because mm-hmm. sometimes they'll, they'll straight up say they'll be like boba fett starship flies in front of a verdant hilly planet osis <laughs> Like I feel like if how, they'd have done that, then we would have we would have been hearing about it much earlier. You'd be surprised because, and I can't take full credit for this, but in when the Dark Trooper episode, yeah, but that first, was like day of, week of that people started talking about it. But the only reason people started talking about it was because I don't want to take full credit, but one of my deaf or one of my uh, sorry blind viewers messaged me and said, "Listen to the end of this." Yeah, but I, I that's why I'm saying like. I'm not saying they wouldn't hide the details in there. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, if they no. had, we would have, mm-hmm. we probably would have heard about that before, like eight months later. It's fair. It's fair. It's fair. But uh, yeah, so I think I would give it a B. I think this is going to be on the B tier for me, just like the last book. Uh, yeah, this will get a B if if the uh, the beginning and the end weren't so good. It would have been down to a C, but I'll give it a B. Yeah, it's got a lot of like the the parts of a book I really like in it, but just as a whole, it doesn't quite come together as well mm-hmm. as some other ones do. Uh, especially for James Luceno, like I may be uh, underselling it a bit or rating it a bit lower just because I have much higher expectations for him as like the overall number one rated author on the podcast. I think other than maybe Timothy Zahn. Yeah, I mean, I think Timothy's on maybe lower just because of the uh, some of his newer Thrawn stuff. Yeah, the ascendancy for for me, but uh, y- yeah, I, I agree. Um, he and he did a lot of the the good James Luceno things. Like he, he very he connects the characters like the New Republic intelligence officer in a yeah. a realistic like in a way that makes sense and isn't forced. And he does a really good job of making it feel like it's in the same universe as the Corellian trilogy and the Black Fleet Crisis and all these things. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that part's not great. Yeah, I I think that was something that we had a problem with in the first book, where I do actually much prefer this to uh, Hero's Trial, where mm. I think what I said at that point was that a lot of the cameos in that did kind of feel forced, where it was like, Ah, uh, this person's here to be this person. Whereas mm-hmm. in this situation, uh, like the Corellian trilogy characters being on Corellia, being on center point, makes sense. Like they show up in a way that makes sense. Uh, the the Bollocks cameo is a bit less, like probably the most out there thing, but it's also possibly not Bollocks. Yeah, like, it's just a labor was... droid who Han asks probably too many times if he's Bollocks, but still. he does have a hollow. He does have a hollow bit in his chest, yeah. like Bollocks did. Uh, but yeah, so B. 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 All right, that's two Bs in a row. B. Great. 
we do have a few questions. Uh, they were actually some lengthy questions as well. Oh, you did? You didn't prepare a uh, thing, did you? No, I didn't. I didn't do a glove shit out for this. One. Next week. Next week. Well, that's something we should we should say is when are we? When are we doing? What are we doing next week? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, because I want. I think we we agreed to keep the glove shit out off of the book episodes and do them on the intermediate episodes. Oh, did we? Okay. Well, fuck. fuck I think so. Um, no, that sounds right. Um. Hmm. I. I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. Something short. I. I need to take a week off from reading. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know if we want to go straight back to. Yeah, I don't think Tales I want to go straight back to Tales of the Jedi. We'll. Uh, we'll figure it out. By the time you're listening to this, I'll include something at the very beginning. If you're watching this live. Maybe check out the audio podcast, and we'll probably tweet it as well. Unless um, I edit this one. That would be a huge twist. That would be a twist, yeah. Could happen. Yep, could definitely uh, could. Yeah, so we'll figure that out. Uh, we do have some questions, though. And I will I will do a glup shit out for next week. Spoiler Sweet. alert, it will, it will be someone from uh, a musical character from Return of the Jedi, probably. Oh, yeah, you told me. It's going to be a good one. But our first question is from Jacob, who asked, Do you think that Outbound Flight could fit into the new canon? Would love to see an episode covering this book. It's one of my favorite reads, uh, Star Wars or otherwise. I think we talked about that kind yeah. of uh, during the Thrawn. It, not only could it fit, it's you caught this more than I did. It's almost implied to have happened. Yeah, like most of the big plot details uh, you can basically take for granted from Outbound Flight. Uh so, functionally, if you want to read Outbound Flight before the other Ascendancy books, if Timothy Zahn does anything else in the Chiss area there, he basically wrote that, assuming he was building on what he did with Outbound Flight. Yeah. So, unless someone else supersedes it, then just take it as presented there, I think. Yep. So, the next one is from Jordan, who says, Up yours, cultural Marxist. We'll see who crucifies who. Hmm. All right, next one. Do you want to read the next one, Corey? <laughs> Uh, yeah, this comes from Jaden, from Jordan to Jaden, who says, I just finished my first listen to the Thrawn Trilogy, 20th Anniversary Edition, and the re-release. Nice. And wonder how y'all both felt about the Azalamari. While I both like and dislike the idea of them, I wondered how you both felt about them. I like how they're one of the few ways to counter Jedi and Sith, but I also don't like how Vader, Bane, Palpatine, etc. could simply be blasted if someone were near. I much prefer yeah. HK-47 solution. What do you think? I don't remember what HK forty seven solution is. Is it just the type of weapons he uses? I remember that. I remember that tree, that, like that discussion tree in Kodor, how he's got like a Jedi killing plan. But I don't remember what it is specifically. Uh, yeah, I I don't I I like having it. Like I like having some tool that characters can plan carefully to take the power away from Jedi. I think usually the way it's done, it's not just like Zalmari. They have to do some sort of planning to take yeah. advantage of it. I like that there's a Jedi weakening tool. I don't know if I like the idea of these force bubbles and stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't like it necessarily for the Vong either. And I feel like this book kind of ignored that a couple of times. Where in the final battle, Ganner force pushes a Vong. Um, it was... Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird where... Uh, 
some of the books make it so that they can't use force powers on them. Some of mm-hmm. them just make it where they can't sense So them. it's like you could push... Yeah, because it's weird because this book almost does it both ways, where when Worth Skidder, who, rest in peace, he does die in this one. Thank fucking um, God. Yeah. He kill He force chokes Avong, sort of, but not by constricting his throat like Vader would do, but by kind of... He makes a bubble of no air around his head, basically. Yeah. So that's like how you could force choke something without touching them that's my favorite um, avatar power though too <laughs> do they do that in avatar yeah fucking I'm trying to remember uh, i think that's in legends of Cor- legend of Korra. it gets pretty oh, fucking I haven't dark seen that one yet i haven't seen that one yet um but like so it's like is a force push grabbing somebody and throwing them back or is it you know pushing a bunch of air or pressure or force at them because if it's the latter then there's no reason why you couldn't do that to the to a Yuzhan Vong. Just like yeah. there's no reason why you couldn't do it to to any kind of inanimate object. Yeah, like um, you can you can throw a desk. Is it that you can't? Like, are they yeah. removed from the force? Well, I remember the and this is this comes up later with Force Lightning specifically, where I think Jaina for some reason I believe maybe I'm wrong, but I think Jaina shoots a Force Lightning. Maybe I'm misremembering, and she's like, I'm not hitting the Vong. I'm hitting you know, his clothes, or like, whatever, but... I'm hitting it, between the <laughs> Yeah, it'll come up again, is my point. I But it just generally, yeah, I don't like the, the anti-force stuff too much. Yeah. I'm not talking about Waru's anti-force either, because that is sick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't think it takes too much away from, like, the Jedi powers that there can be a situation in which they're able to be shot. Like, they're still pretty physically skilled as well. Mm-hmm. And, like... Sure, it means you could shoot Vader, but he's probably getting out of his Almari somehow. So, like there, there are plenty of uh, plenty of stories that don't have force related stuff, and mm-hmm. and those characters still end up doing badass stuff. So it, it's fine with me. I think that was the best. The Jedi trap that I remember the the most is the one from uh, the 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 first book of the Thrawn duology, where Luke's like in that cage, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, that like, was probably the best it's been done. Card does it a few good places or a few good ways. The first then time, the, yeah. Then there's the whole Empire of the Hand thing where they have the entire fortress or the main command room pretty much covered by Zelmari, which is a little bit weirder. It's like yeah. they, I guess they were breeding them that they covered, but oh well. I, I don't like the idea, but I kind of like the rationale where it's like the Asalamiri were hunted by force sensitive creatures, so they developed a, whatever. It makes yeah. sense, I guess. All right, so our next question comes from John. We've got, uh, we've really been covering the Jays this week. Hold on, I, my son just woke up. Just keep, okay. keep at it. I'll be right back. I'll start. I'll read the question out for everyone, and then I'll repeat it for him. But John says, love the show. I have a question about something you mentioned in last week's episode. Inspector of the past, Luke thinks he's been using the Force too much, so instead of crushing the cannons of the pirate ship he's fighting, he lets Han and Chewie blow them up. Even though that will kill all the pirates, well, he could just disable the ship they'd and they'd live. I feel like this is often the same problem with when they try to address how to use the Force in Star Wars books. They talk about not using it as much or as overtly or whatever, even though doing that would be the quickest way to save one or multiple lives. There's definitely something the characters using the Force in a stupid way, like Luke rebuilding Vader's castle. My problem is that the characters consider how they're using the Force when they're trying to save lives, or they don't want to do some Force thing and so kill the people with the lightsaber who they wouldn't have had to otherwise. I might be totally wrong about this, but I have noticed it a lot, especially in Zahn's book. Thanks, and hope you have a good day. 
So, yeah, like, largely it comes down there to the idea that, like, frivolous use of the Force is what's bad, and, uh, and like, overly relying on it is part of what can lead you to the to the dark side. So it's it's usually that line that they're trying to figure out where uh, am I using the force correctly in this situation if I can save someone's life with it or was there another solution that doesn't rely on the force too much? And Zahn is usually the one who goes down that rabbit hole the most. Uh, a lot of the other authors kind of abandoned that view of the force. But it it was kind of building on what Yoda would was saying in the original trilogy, where like it's, it's the same way as how the dark side is easier. If you end up using the force way too much, then you rely on it. Then you just use it for uh, stuff like directly killing people. Like there's not a fundamentally huge difference between killing someone with the force versus killing someone with the lightsaber, uh, but it when it gets presented that way that's the direction they're coming from use the force too much and you go dark Mm -hmm. uh good point justin Mm -hmm. you're welcome carried it i I tried to say the parts of the answer for when you were here so that you might have an idea what the question is and and weigh in on it but I know I, I, I got the question, it. but I just I just don't really have anything else to add. <laughs> I just don't care about the podcast. Just, honestly, a, a shit question. No, I'm joking. No, um, you use a good answer. Sweet. Next question comes from Joel because I wanted I want to stick with the J questions. Uh, and Joel asks, in your opinion, do you think the new canon authors tend to be a lot more friendly and cooperative with each other than, say, the Bantam era? There does not, or there doesn't seem to be a lot of factionalism like there was in the early days when it seemed like it was Zan, Stackpole, and Alston against Kevin J. Anderson and Veitch. Veitch. I don't really know. Um, I, I, I think it's hard to say because the stories have been a little less consequential so far. Um, but it definitely does feel like certain shit's been ignored. Like, like a lot of what happened in aftermath. It feels like the authors are sometimes trying to deal with it, not outright ignore it, but like it doesn't seem like this. A lot of the plot threads that book set up have been fully embraced, and I'm sure we'll start. We'll do those books maybe after NJO. Um, but like the idea of Palpatine's observatories was set up in that book to be this big thing. So that's for Battlefront Two, never really touched on. Um, and yeah. same with like with other. Like, there's this massive, massive character introduced in that book, Gallius Rax, who's... The fact that, like, like he is a character who should have been in many other Star Wars books. Same with Race alone, arguably, and they've kind of just been ignored, other than, again, Battlefront 2. Um, so, maybe, but I don't know. I really don't know. I think part of that with the new canon stuff is just that there haven't been as many books going over the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I think at a baseline, there's more of an idea that when you agree to do a Star Wars book now, you're buying into mm-hmm. uh, you're buying into the idea that what you want to do is going to be half is going to have to be part of this bigger whole, which was less established in the early '90s. Uh, so. There was less of a feeling by Zan in particular that like, 
oh, if I'm writing my book, why do I have to care what Dark Horse was doing with Dark Empire? Mm -hmm. uh, and they got around that by just putting his stuff before it. So I do think some of this stuff with, uh, like, between that trio and Kevin J. Anderson gets a little bit uh, exaggerated. Like, clearly they had some different ideas, but I don't think there was quite as much, like, open hostility as some people treat it as. Uh, like the, I think the biggest thing was the shipping wars with uh, Mara. Mara versus Callista, which we get a little yeah. hint at here mm -hmm. uh, in this book. Where yeah, a little joke at it was it Worth Skidder who's who says that like responds to a question of yeah. where Callista is by saying that uh, Mara had her disappeared basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I think that's the biggest thing. Where that was like a really big fan thing as well, but. We Calista lost, she got it's... shipped off, and there you go, that's it. Yeah, we also just don't know... Oh, August is up again. I'll, I'll answer this and then go up. We also just don't know what it's like behind the scenes, too. Um, yeah. And they've also clearly made a space for comics and books, and they're not really intersecting that much. But, yeah. yeah. And some of the people that are involved in one are really involved in the other, where, like, Kevin Scott and Charles Soule do a lot of books and a lot of uh, uh, comics. So... Yeah, I think I, I think the the main thing there though is just that when they started doing the new canon stuff, uh, there was a bit more of an idea that everything ties in together just because of how media has evolved. Uh, but I think rather than answering the questions now, maybe we'll hold it for next time, uh, and then I'll make sure that he's able to actually be here for the next one because whatever we end up doing, we'll probably have more time for questions, so it makes more sense to do it that way so with justin gone i think that's going to do it for the episode for now thank you for listening everyone and we'll be back next thursday with whatever justin announced or whatever i announced at the the start of the edited in intro otherwise we'll let you know on twitter for those of you watching live here uh, i will try to tweet it as soon as we know what's going on with that but thanks again have a good night everyone hope to see you next time bye